it's going to be one of those that people see a real genuineness to it and and like it and then you're going to get people that are going to detest it and i think there's going to be no middle no middle ground with this one which i think is a good thing from a from telling a, telling a story point of view if you get a reaction either way then we must have done something close to being right that's the voice of alan bailey director of the insane new documentary dtf about a pilot in a spiral not in the air but on the ground I met Bailey, the head programmer of the Manchester Film Festival, earlier this year. He said he was working on a documentary he couldn't say very much about, for legal reasons. And now that I've seen DTF, I get it. Years ago, Bailey's friend Charlotte married another friend, an airline pilot. The pilot's called Christian in the film, and his name and voice are distorted for reasons that soon become obvious. Charlotte died. And I'll thought it would be a good idea to make a documentary about Christian, the widowed pilot, searching for new love on Tinder. That movie turned into DTF because Christian had no intention of finding love. The film follows Christian all over the world, behaving with impunity, since he's usually flying out of town the next day. Alan debates the ethics of filming the spiral, what duty he has to the women who Christian is, DTF, and whether he should keep making his movie at all. I've seen critics refer to the story as a slow-motion car wreck, missing the more obvious metaphor. It's a plane crash, and the filmmakers can't stop gravity. My name's Tim Malloy, you're listening to Movie Maker Interviews, and this is Alan Bailey of DTF, now available on demand. So Al, can you tell me about this incredible movie what it was supposed to be and what it turned out to be. Yep. So the, the nucleus of the, the whole project was initially a romanticized idea of trying to find love in the kind of testosterone fuel of a, of a pilot's life uh, via the dating app Tinder. So that was the original concept. Um, but it turned out very much different than what we were kind of ever envisioning, to be quite honest. Yeah, your subject is a guy named Christian, not his real name. Uh, a friend of yours who you introduced to his wife. Um, his wife died very tragically a few years ago. And he sort of goes on this worldwide search for love, you thought. But how quickly did it all kind of go to shit? Pretty quickly. I mean, obviously, my loyalties actually lay with Charlotte, who was my original friend before I'm going to bite my tongue and say Christian. I'm getting quite good at that, calling him that now. Um, so we're always towards that. Um, and within, I'd say probably it was two weeks into the shoot time, it was pretty clear that we were not on the journey that we presume we would be on. Not that we were naive and not to think, you know, I'd heard the stories, etc. So I wasn't completely oblivious. I just didn't expect the depravity to be quite as intense and so early on in, in the production, really. Oh, so at one point he does some stuff that seems pretty illegal to me, to you. Um, what is your take on that? I mean, were you ever in a situation where you thought I should prosecute this guy? I should go to the police? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You're not the first to ask that, you know, who've seen the, the film. Um, it's very difficult to explain in terms of my experience. Obviously, we shot it over 18 months. And I think there was a solid three-month shoot spread over those 18 months. 
um, and I've had this conversation before, when you're kind of in this environment and then seeing it in retrospect on screen, it's two very different things. Um, so if the, the conversation was to be crass and you're in, you're in a bar or something, it would be really experienced differently than when I watch it back. And that's the best way I can explain that particular circumstance you're talking about. Obviously it was a blur to me apart from the morning after. Um, and obviously I saw the footage pretty much straight away when I wasn't in any great state in the morning. They were obviously shot the scene where we're viewing the footage from a cinematographer just as an explanatory piece, really. Um, but there was never a moment, I've got to be quite honest, where it entered my head that any legalities and that, and, but it's, in retrospect now, when you talk about it, and if that was a female in that situation, then you don't like to say it, but it would be a very, very different scenario, I think, in terms of, like you say, the legalities and wanting to press charges. So I don't want to make it a, um, a sex thing, but at the same time, it's more of an experience thing. In the moment, I would say, no, it never even crossed my mind. In retrospect, and seeing the crassness on screen, then there is an argument for the case of, yeah, maybe, maybe there is, there was criminality there and it should have been addressed in the moment rather than retrospect. Yeah. Just the way we're socialized, there's some stuff where if a man does it to another man, especially, you know, two men who are heterosexual, it's, it's identified as like, Oh, that's grab assing or fun and games or, you know, boys will be boys or whatever. But if it was him doing this to a woman, it would be so clear cut way beyond the pale. Yeah. Call the cops. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's this whole world of the toxic masculinity that kind of this really is, is what this, this, this piece is about. It's, exposed, it's a cautionary tale and it's an expose for people maybe to discuss and address. Yeah. Was there ever a point in the filmmaking where you're like, I'm along for a crazy ride, this is fun, and where it just shifted and you went, oh, this is, this is now a nightmare? Yeah, I mean, there was all that, because obviously we were coming back to the UK quite a lot and we're kind of regrouping and we meet with Christian and, and go through things where we thought the, the direction was heading as a production. Um, there was never actually a fundamental moment where it was like, this is fun. Apart from the setting out on the journey, the first, the first trip we made, maybe there was an element of excitement um, and this romanticized idea that we're going to get this lovely character arc of, finding love. Um, so that was the excitement for me, for me as the project. But as, like you say, as it unfolded, it was more of a, almost a stressful chore. And from a filmmaking point of view, you're a first time director and people have invested their private money in a project. And I don't think the viewer maybe grasps that um, unless you're in the kind of industry. Um, I, you know, I'm not motivated by money, but it's a hell of a lot of pressure when you set out to do one thing and then all of a sudden, you've got to think on your feet and produce something completely different. Yeah, there's kind of a great, there's kind of two stories going on simultaneously. The one is the story of Christian. And I want to say it's, it's Christian, you know, sort of devolving throughout, but I don't think he really even has an arc of getting worse necessarily. I think he's just kind of on very bad behavior from beginning to end. And it's yeah. just how much you realize it. And then the other story is your crisis over, you know, ethically, do I continue to do this movie? Do I completely change the scope of the movie? Do I bail out on this? How much of that were you aware of while you were filming it? Were you thinking um, we're kind of getting a better story about me than we're getting about Christian in some ways? Or is this just something you realized after the fact? 
Yeah, no, as, and in terms of the moral compass side of thing, I was, I was, I was I'm really aware of it um, because I think going back to the, the original point of the difference and being in that environment, I think on that basis with this question, they, I was fully aware of my moral compass rather than, than Christians, so to speak. Um, so it was almost, Christian was the clown that we realised was playing up to camera throughout. Um, then I thought it'd be my responsibility if we weren't going to pull the plug for obvious reasons, that it's my responsibility to be that moral compass and, and you know, almost give, give the viewer an insight of what I thought personally about the behaviour that we were seeing. Did you think Christian was playing it up for the camera? Yes, I had no doubt what's, I mean, obviously I knew him before I'm for, for, for quite a long time. Um, I knew the character was, you know, I, I can't claim to be, be that naive. I didn't know exactly, you know, what kind of guy he was, but not like I say to the levels we witnessed. Yeah. Uh, and this, I mean, no one's real in front of a camera. I, 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 you know, I would argue tooth and nail to that with anyone. I think if you're trying to get a real story, then you have to be as authentic properly as possible and that's what we were really we we didn't pull any punches we actually have got way worse footage than we're allowed to show um, in that sense so that that's that's a worrying aspect of it in terms of the moral side of it um yeah it, it was it was an experience this is this is where i babble and then i find myself kind of reliving it in the in the mind the the different kind of incidences that we had to ordeal this may be a stupid question, but when my wife and I were watching this movie together, we just kept going, how is this guy getting dates with all of these great women? Because some of them are, you know, just seem really cool and really nice. And some of them are very beautiful. And you don't, you kind of go, is this guy just the handsomest dude on earth with the best Tinder profile we've ever seen? Like, how how is he pulling this off when he's such a, I mean, as far as I can tell from the film, a dirtbag? Yeah, he's no Lothario by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think, to be honest, that, that maybe the power of Tinder, the beauty, <laughs> the beauty of being able to meet someone for a one-off date and you are only being judged by a photograph and what you might say on a message. Um, so that was an interesting aspect. That, and like you say, the the majority of the the, the Tinder dates that you didn't see as well were very very the same in terms of if you want to genreify it in terms of the kind of the girls that were kind of turning up to meet him for a drink um but they soon realized as you see that you're not all that you crack up to be on a on a tinder profile <laughs> was there ever a point when you had to sort of intervene and like a date was going well and you wanted to tell someone hey this guy's a jerk like you can do better yeah to uh, because obviously, and like I said, I reckon there must have been a period where we went away and sometimes he'd be watching Netflix and we wouldn't see a lot. He'd be in his room and obviously we're showing the heightened moments over 83 minutes. But I can remember distinctly um, there was a lady that she was, you know, she was taken up, taken by him. <laughs> and you're right, it was almost, was it my responsibility as as the filmmaker to you know, give a warning sign or, but again, I wanted to observe. I wanted not to get involved with that. I didn't want it to be like a first dates thing where we were seeing so much of that interaction that clearly wasn't what we wanted to do from the outset. So 
kind of wish in retrospect, I would have probably been a bit more forthright in those situations. But I have to say, hand on heart, I wasn't. So maybe, you know, that's something I can take from it. I, I don't want to give too much away, but is it safe to say that you learned something at the very end of the journey that if you'd known that you would have intervened and oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, obviously we've, I've not actually spoken to uh, Christian since we've, we've dealt through third parties, et cetera. Um, but one or two things have been cleared up through those third parties, but hundred percent, if I'd have known some of the facts that, were enlightened to me at that moment then yeah forget about kind of production and money and things like that there'd have been no hesitation to and again we would have had a very different documentary where we could have taken it you know somewhere else as well because i, I, I want to give a, a broader view i think i say in, in the film where you know there is more to this story that that, that needs to be told i think just in terms of shooting and making people comfortable how how do you handle the situation where you say, all right, you have a Tinder date with this guy. Also a film crew is going to follow us around. Um, how do you sort of, <laughs> how do you pull that off? We did, we were very, we were, that was, you know, without, we were quite responsible in that respect that anyone that was turning up for the date, there was pre-communication release forms were signed, et cetera. So they knew full well, they were coming and they were going to be filmed. So there was no kind of, uh, incident where anyone would turn up and wouldn't be aware of what we were doing there's one point where he accuses you of trying to steal his date uh did you steal his date or stay in touch with that woman <laughs> that happened on so many occasions that the whole um she's more interested in you kind of joke that he, he ran with for a period of months um that was just one of many instances where he was kind of putting me under the under the bus, so to speak, with, with comment. <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't at any point date anybody because of this movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> because you must have seen like a much better catch by comparison. It's like, oh, this guy has it going on. He's making a movie. Like he says, he still has some direction. Um, you're kind of a creep. Who's this <laughs> nice guy? <laughs> Could have been a great wingman. If it had been, if it had been that kind of, uh, understanding then yeah maybe it'd have been an opportunity for me but no I didn't um I certainly <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't take up any advances <laughs> did he try to stop you from releasing this movie I mean did he make any effort to what happened yeah so we had um it's close to uh, 12 months now of kind of back and forth um through legals and stuff so it's, it's taken a lot to to kind of get it out there um Fortunately, we were all covered legally and, the, you know, we, we went with it and we think it's worth people seeing. Um, so, we, we, you know, obviously, again, the pressure of getting the thing, thing out there was big. Um, and then you had this added problem of the subject matter not wanting it released. So it was, yeah, it was a bit of a wrangling of, like, say, nearly 12 months. Do you think he's the problem or Tinder is the problem? I think he is the problem. Um possibly the industry he works in i don't think i don't think um it's not a satisfactory story we've delivered by any stretch of the imagination it's a case of this is purely a cautionary tale we know what you know the material we got and tinder for my part i don't think was explored enough within the documentary what was explored is this bubble that certain pilots live in um 
some actions you can understand they're on their own a lot they're flying four days somewhere exotic locations a lot of them are young to middle-aged men um but that doesn't excuse the depravity we kind of unearthed and i think if anything comes from this i think it's to realize that who we followed isn't a lone wolf and you know maybe it is something that the industry should be looking at and addressing yeah, he talks about some of the things that pilots do to kind of just barely stay within the guidelines or to get away with, not guidelines, rules. I mean, there's strict rules around who can fly a plane and what condition you can be in and alcohol and things like that. And he sort of lets you in on some of the things that he says he and other pilots are doing. Um, what surprised you the most? Um, the Blasenus. And to be honest, the total contrast between when he was talking about the technicalities and and then his behavior that i mean unbelievable kind of polar opposites of of a person's psyche really and, and that that for me was the the biggest thing that kind of struck me whenever he was behaving in a certain manner then he would talk completely it was like and obviously again i knew the guy but to see the two contrasting personalities was was quite disturbing really i think so you wouldn't fly a plane that or you wouldn't travel on a plane that he was flying. I think it's safe to say. I would have reservations of knowing what I know now. I mean, <laughs> maybe it's fortunate. I mean, again, heard it through the third part. He's actually been rain redundant. He went into the private sector, but because of COVID, he's not actually working at the moment. So that could be a saving grace. <laughs> if anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I ne he never, in, to be quite honest, when we didn't fly with him a great deal in terms of we always kind of, generally met at the locations that he was flying into. But when we did, um, there was a consummate professional there. And I think, again, that's an interesting kind of insight of they can have these behavioral patterns, these individuals, but they can also be actually on top of the game when they are performing the, their job. Have you seen the Denzel Washington movie Flight? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking of that. Yeah. I mean, it is. A, and, and like I say, we did speak to many pilots. We got some on camera, but again, through various reasons, we couldn't show. And again, if it would be a different documentary, it wouldn't have been so personal, the journey. I would have loved to kind of open it up and, and made it a broader kind of look at the whole pilot situation. But I can honestly say again that he's definitely not alone within, not to you know paint the same brush on all pilots, but there was certainly a shared kind of behavior pattern. Yeah. A lot of people we spoke to. There's a segment that made me think of like almost Borat or Bruno, where you try to help him channel his sexual uh, drive in a healthier way, but yeah. through um, <laughs> through sex toys. <laughs> um, do you think he is a sex addict? Do you think he's has a problem with alcohol? What do you think is the root of his of his problem? I personally think, again, just from a completely unprofessional angle. Um, it's really interesting that there's almost like a need for him to be behaving like that. So there's almost like, why are you like that? There's got to be a reason that something happened in the past. Is it because, you know, you, you're grieving, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but genuinely, again, if speaking to him, there was almost a consensus that he's not got a problem with anything he's doing. Right. He's aware it's not right, but he doesn't see it as a fundamental problem that he needs to address. He might pretend he does. So we had the whole shenanigans of, I'm going to go and see a counselor. I'm going to get this done and we're going to get this done. And again, that was all bravado and like almost, I would say he's an egomaniac if you wanted me to kind of pigeonhole my thoughts of it. 
Um, but yeah, it's really hard to kind of get across that he doesn't feel or he didn't feel he had any issues whatsoever other than that's how he lived his life in this, this kind of world of vice as we see it. If he is an addict and if he is having, if he is kind of going through a terrible episode in his life, I think there'd be some ethical concerns with showing that as the real him, but it sounds like you dealt with him yeah, that's up when he was down. Yeah, that is exactly why we chose to keep it. This is the journey we want the audience to experience the journey. Um, it wasn't a character profile of this individual. If it was that, we would have put in the, it would have slowed everything down, but we were put in trying to explain his behavior, but we literally didn't get any nuts and crannies to, to give us give us any kind of real depth where people could say, well, that's the reason. It was, as you'd see it, we kind of deliver the fact that we actually didn't find out why this behavior was happening. And mm. this was actually, and, and kind of make sense of it yourselves and kind of come to the conclusion of, you know, this behavior and why it is happening. And I'm inclined to cut him a lot of slack at the beginning because he's obviously grieving and people do, you know, we all deal with grief in different ways. Yeah. You kind of find that it doesn't seem to be grief and that this behavior preceded. Yes. With death. Yeah. And like I say, my loyalties were with, with Charlotte beforehand. So although it comes across in, in the story that, you know, we're not the best of friends, but we've certainly known each other for a long time. Um, but my, like I say, going back to it, my loyalty was with Charlotte. So seeing this behavior and realizing that this behavior was going on previously, again, that was something I had to kind of wrestle with within myself when I was kind of dealing with all the situations he was placing us in. I, I hate for Charlotte to be remembered as just this, this guy's wife. Can you talk a little bit about her if you're comfortable with that? Just yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's better not someone I knew for many, many years as a young teenager growing up. Um, I actually met Christian through another pilot friend of mine out in Copenhagen uh, when I was playing soccer out there. Um, and then Christian eventually became a pilot from that point and started flying in and out of the UK. Um, and it, was, it, it wasn't actually my introduction, but they met at a party that we were all at. So it was kind of, and obviously... I only knew him from having a drink in Copenhagen and et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't really get a feel for what I would later learn 15, 16, 15, 16 years time, which is quite ironic. Um, yeah, we, we were, we were good friends and yeah, it was a kind of a, a sad episode, but as such is life. It's, it's one of those kind of, you kind of live in a little bit regret now doing what I've done with the documentary. Cause obviously I didn't realize it was going to materialize like this. So, you know, we're trying to not speak too much about her as much as we can, really, because it's it, like you say, it would taint the the yes. association. A bit. So it's the personal aspect. I've got a, a lot of respect for. It's only the kind of the legal side and the, the depravity that I kind of I'm you know I'm more than happy to kind of talk about because it's literally what we saw and, and should be should be talked about. Were you a pro soccer player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played till I was 25. So you blinked and you might have missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from uh started off at Manchester City till I was uh twenty one. Um and then I moved to a place called Stockport, we were in the same league at the same time. Um and then I went to Copenhagen 
uh, in Denmark, and then I came back and finished at 25 at a place called Burton, Burton on Trent, to the you know the top end of the football. So Manchester City were a lot worse than they are now, <laughs> and and Stockport were a lot better. So they they've both gone like that in terms of. Yes, <laughs> and I've kind of disappeared down the middle making documentaries about crazy pilots. <laughs> but that's your hometown team. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Both, both were Stockport and Manchester City were, you know, in close proximity. Yeah. So even by the standards of a professional athlete who probably saw lots of things on the road, you thought this guy was depraved and totally out of bounds. That's really interesting. Someone asked me the exact same question that obviously knows the football kind of fraternity world. And they asked me what, you know, there were certain things that happen in professional sports. And, um, but I've never... I think it was the the candidness of it. Yeah. A lot of the kind of the depravity I might have seen elsewhere, it was almost more of a, a secret that there was no showing off about it. It was something that may have happened and doesn't get talked about, or there's, there's a certain limit you can go with. With this individual, it was completely different in the sense that it was almost show off time. This is what I do, and welcome to my world, which again, makes it even worse, <laughs> to be honest. And you're not talking about like crimes, you're talking about like cheating on girlfriends or something. Yeah, I mean, there was, in terms of criminality, apart from the one you've, you've mentioned, there was never even to the point of his drinking and the discussions of whether he was legal to fly, et cetera, et cetera. He was so careful in terms of what, you know, he might have been telling us something completely different, but in terms of what he was telling us and the actions we saw, there was no criminality that we witnessed. Um, we did get, like I say, several things on camera that I would never wish to show anyone in terms of, because I think in the documentary, it's a lot of language and um, telling you about incidents and, and being in certain situations, whereas we actually caught some of those incidents that we described, but it just didn't feel, and to be honest, again, going through the legal side of it, that it would have been appropriate or even we could have shown it. Yeah. So the only potential crime is involving you again. Yes, yeah. Coming back to the, yeah, uh, in Las Vegas. God, ridiculous. Yeah. What are you going to do now? What's, what project are you on now? Um, interesting. So I've got two in the pipeline, actually, in terms of documentary. So we um, were interested in a, a profile documentary. It's based within the international betting world, um, sports betting syndicate out in the Far East. There's a certain character that I can't name his name. Um, he's quite eccentric and could be similar to kind of in the vein of DTF of following someone and, and kind of seeing where it leads us, hopefully not in a body bag. <laughs> um, so that's that's the one that's kind of floating everyone's boat at the minute. But then I've also been offered um, something a bit more richer for the soul. We're working with Township in South Africa and an affluent area in the UK and bringing two junior soccer teams together um, through shirt swapping so the affluent kids send the shirts over to the Africa and then we, we we arrange a game and we're going to film the game and from the game we're going to spiral out of all the different stories from all the kids and the coaches um, so it's something very different um, but something that I've, I've got a little bit of a passion for and I think like I say it might be a bit more fulfilling for me personally rather than <laughs> chasing another crazy lunatic around the globe <laughs> but I'm open for anything <laughs> 